Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is David Dunabedian, uh, co-founder and head of Axial Biotherapeutics. David, how are you doing? Doing fantastic, Richard. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's start off uh, simply. You know, Tell me about Axial Biotherapeutics. What do you guys do? Absolutely. So Axial is a biotechnology company that's focused on the gut-brain access. And what we're doing is leveraging the gut microbiome to develop new therapeutics to treat diseases that originate in the central nervous system, and our, our primary diseases we're focusing on today are autism and Parkinson's, and our technology originated out of Caltech uh, with one of the most well-renowned professors in the gut microbiome and the gut-brain axis. His name is Dr. Sarkis Masmanian. Oh, I've heard that name. Okay. So what's, what's the basic premise that you can change the gut microbiome and that will uh, alleviate these diseases or just... Uh or prevent them? What's your overall thesis? Yeah, absolutely. The overall thesis is we believe that the gut microbiome is actually implicated in, in certain diseases, and we're basing this off some of the seminal work out of Sarkis's lab over the last several years. And it, it, the hypothesis that we're really testing and have a lot of very interesting data on is the following, is that when the microbiome, we, we know it has a role not only regulating human health, but also if it becomes in a, in a state that's not uh, a traditional state found in, say, um, healthy individuals, we call that a dysbiotic state, 
we have found with individuals that have more of this dysbiotic state, we feel that it could really drive certain diseases, and in this case, autism and Parkinson's. So what Sarkis has identified and what we've done research here at Axial is that for specifically in autism, many children with autism often suffer from gastrointestinal distress, such as abdominal pain, cramps, bloating, diarrhea, and constipation, and it's quite persistent, and it's also associated with the the uh, the, um, the relative um, abundance or changes in the gut microbiome, and it's also seen to correlate with the severity of autism as well. So we believe the gut microbiome may have an influence on these particular gut issues, which then translates, in our minds, to changes in not only behavior, but other symptoms associated with autism. And the link is through the gut microbiome and the communication with the brain. And, and the way the gut microbiome can communicate with the brain are in several ways. Uh, for autism, we truly believe it's through uh, microbial metabolites or, or small products that microbes break down that can get into the bloodstream and then mm-hmm. have the ability to, to interact with, with the brain or also potentially through the vagus nerve, which is the communication highway between the central nervous system or, or the brain and the enteric nervous system or the gut. So we, we've published data on, on these aspects and are furthering um, the work out of Sarkis's lab in Axial to actually develop therapeutics to focus on delivering to the gut to treat the microbiome with the advent of improving autism and Parkinson's. All right, well, give me some more details here. What do you think is going wrong with the microbiome or what's happening specifically in autistic people? What kind of uh, chemicals are created or metabolites and what are they doing? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, what we've seen over the last 10 years, just to take a look at autism, we'll get to Parkinson's. In autism, we've seen a a really dramatic increase in in the incidence of of, of autism on the order of 1 in 44 uh, children in the U.S., excuse me, 1 in 68 children in the U.S., in about one in 44 boys, um, which which is really really quite remarkable. So your question now was, you know, driving this change. I think part of it is just better diagnosis. So over the last several years, we've been able to, as a community, diagnose autism much earlier in life. Um, children start to exhibit, you know, complex behaviors that that can be characterized as early as two and three, and diagnoses for autism are starting sooner. So I think that that explains why we've seen this large increase. But there's another you know, 50% of so that, that's harder to characterize beyond just um, improvements in diagnosis. And that's where we think um, environmental factors come in and potentially the gut microbiome. So potential changes to the gut microbiome that we've seen um, in the literature and also uh, speaking to physicians and caregivers is that um, a lot of kids that, that, that suffer from this dysbiosis, the, the gut microbiome also looks somewhat different than your typicals. And what I mean by that is you know, we tend to be populated with, with trillions of bacteria on the order of 10 to the 14th, where in some instances, some of these children with autism have much less overall concentrations of bacteria. So it might be in the hundreds of billions as opposed to trillions. And as it relates to diversities of species, you know, you want a, a quite diverse and rich microbiome. We have hundreds, if not thousands of species um, contained in our microbiome. Many of these children have much lower numbers. So, again, it's kind of confounding that why does this microbiome look so different? And, again, what are some of the reasons for that? And, again, we don't know all the answers, but, you know, there are points in, in the environment such as antibiotic use perhaps early in life can drive changes in the microbiome. And, and if children need antibiotics in early stages of development, that's when the microbiome is most plastic. So if you are intervening with so you, multiple... 
sources of antibiotics. You're saying that uh, you're saying that autistic kids have a lot less diversity in their microbiome. Is that what you're saying? Some do, yeah. Some do. Mm -hmm. Some do. Yeah. Are there any particular species of bacteria or um, you know phages or parasites yeah. or anything that uh, are present in their gut microbiomes? Have you found any clear yeah, signal? Yeah, so that'll get us to like kind of our therapeutic intervention. So there, there are some species that we know are beneficial, and, and one in particular that Axial is now studying, you're right, seem to be somewhat at low concentrations or even somewhat depleted in certain subsets of autistic kids, and, and that's one of our, our products we're developing, uh, which is called Bacterioides Fragilis, or from Axial's standpoint, AB1224. So to your, to your point, Richard, um, this seems to be a, a well-known bacterial species that's found in about 50% of the, the US, you know, the healthy population, but again, mm -hmm. seems to be somewhat devoid in these subsets of autistic kids. And what we've shown in our preclinical models is that when you add this bacterial species um, to mice that exhibit autistic features, it improves some of the core behaviors of autism, but also improves some of the GI symptoms of these mice as well. Well, I've uh, I've heard it's not so easy to just you know restore levels of a certain bacteria in your gut. You know, if you take a pill, uh, it has to survive the mouth and the stomach acid and get to the gut. Um, then there's you know other bacteria that may try to outcompete. You know, how do you how do you make sure that okay, well, fragilis they need more of that. How do they get more of that and do it sustainably? And how do they keep it at the level they need? Good question. So uh, currently on the market, most, if not all, of the probiotics are, are really, you know, lactose or milk-based, which, which really aren't commensal or native to the gut microbiome. And they tend to be um, bacteria that are called aerobic, which means they need oxygen to proliferate and, and thrive and survive. And, you know, most of the organisms that are found in our gut microbiome are not these types of organisms. They're not milk-based. They're, they're commensal to humans. And they tend to be what are called anaerobic, needing less oxygen to proliferate and grow. So the organisms we're working with tend to fall more into this anaerobic. They're more commensal to the human gut microbiome, so they're not foreign. So they should have a much better opportunity to not only potentially have a therapeutic benefit, but also have the opportunity, as you said, to perhaps you know find niches within the gut microbiome themselves to actually take hold. Because again, the one that we're most interested in, this bacteria fragilis or B fragilis, is already found in the human population. So we're not introducing something that's not already found in humans. It just seems to be at low concentrations or sometimes, you know, very depleted in a subset of these children with autism. Well, what's your, all right, so what's your therapy look like, you know, without revealing proprietary info? What's sure. your plan and, and how to do this? Yeah, it's a great question, and we'll talk about autism whenever you're ready to switch to Parkinson's. But for autism, um, we're developing a, a therapy which is orally delivered, so you could think of as much as a traditional probiotic. So we'll develop something that could be delivered either in a capsule form or, dependent upon the patient population, a liquid form, something I think that would be uh, most tolerable for the uh, individuals taking this particular therapy. Okay, is it, is it going to be commensal bacteria or certain strains you've developed, or is there any more method to the madness? There's a lot of, not madness, but uh, things that will keep us up, but also provide opportunity. So it's not as straightforward as, as one would imagine to develop a, a therapeutic like this. We're probably one of the first companies 
to, to do this along um, this particular species. And part of it is since they don't come from a natural source, um, it's somewhat challenging to make these on large scales and also make them on a scale that's suitable for, for human use in clinical trials. So it's not as mundane as what you may see for producing probiotics. So we've developed a lot of proprietary know-how in knowledge and in potential intellectual property around not only producing this commensal strain, but also in terms of how you will then formulate it to deliver to a patient. Well, how come um, we, we don't use or create or culture uh, the anaerobic commensal bacteria that live in our guts? Why are we doing uh, aerobic non-commensal ones? Is it too difficult to administer the right ones? Partly in just manufacturing. So I think a lot of the capabilities to date for probiotic manufacturers, again, they're getting their sources of these probiotics, again, from, from, from milk or, or, or lactose sources. So their manufacturing capabilities are really built around that. So it, it's a different handling that's needed for anaerobic species as opposed to aerobic species. So there's, there's just not the broad-based use of those particular organisms yet because there's really not, it's really not built internally, right, to make those particular species. And in fairness, right, the, the microbiome is, is still a relatively young field, right, compared to the probiotics, which have been on the market for, you know, what, dozens and dozens of years. Well, it seems like food is the biggest modulator of what uh, happens with your gut bacteria. I mean, what lessons can we learn from eating fermented foods? Those seem to work for some reason to uh, to get the right bacteria in our guts. And you know, how can we uh, learn from that to make the right therapies? Or have you looked yeah, at that? It's really interesting. So, you know, diet plays a, a very large role in, in the health of our microbiome. You're absolutely right in, in terms of cultivating the shape and disposition of that. But what happens, I think, for, for many of us is our diet does change over time, and we're typically starting with, with a baseline of a microbiome that tends to be more, again, on a, a neurotypical or healthy standpoint. But at an early age, if you're starting with a microbiome that tends to be not in a healthy state, again, caused by particular you know, environmental changes, I think diet alone, right, does not... Um, constitutively have the same type of impact. And, and what you've seen specifically in autism is, you know, many many caregivers and parents have, have changed their child's diets to things such as gluten-free and casein-free diets and have seen improvements. But again, I think something like what Axial is developing beyond that could be additive to those diets to actually make a, a therapeutic intervention even better. Makes sense. Um, let's let's shift a little bit to Parkinson's. I yeah. I would think that'd be very surprising. You're saying there's a microbiome basis for Parkinson's? Absolutely. Super fascinating. So with Parkinson's, we often think of the motor symptoms that are associated with Parkinson's and, you know, the trouble Parkinsonian patients have with, with walking as well and the trouble with, you know, um, facial expressions. And these are all, you know, associated with, with dopamine, which is one of the, the key um, chemicals needed for, for nerve um, conductivity associated with motor symptoms that seems to be depleted in Parkinson's patients, which is caused by a protein that is specific to the nerves that, that are embodied and, and have controlling aspects which relate to, to things such as motor symptoms. So we, we've known this as, a, as an organization for many years, and those are in specific parts of the brain. But what's very interesting is as many Parkinson's patients suffer from things like constipation many years, if not decades, before the onset of their motor symptoms. And they also suffer from other types of um, symptoms, such as loss of smell, which is called hyposmia, 
in trouble swallowing, which is called dysphagia. And those may seem unrelated to Parkinson's, but they're actually part of the disease itself. And those aren't really controlled by the central nervous system, but they tend to be more controlled by the enteric nervous system. So what was interesting was Starkis and his colleagues at Caltech several years ago were investigating this idea of perhaps a a Parkinsonian-based etiology emanating from the gut. And perhaps that the reason you see constipation so early on is that the Parkinsonian symptoms actually originate there and that the protein accumulation starts in the gut and migrates Hmm. via the vagus nerve into the brain. So this hypothesis is called Brake's hypothesis. It's B-R-A-A-K. So what we wanted to do is build upon that with Sarkis, and Sarkis um, published a paper in late 2016 that was extremely interesting that showed for the first time that by taking the microbiome of Parkinson's patients and with matched controls and transplanting those microbiomes into mice that were predisposed to Parkinson's but did not have Parkinson's, the introduction of the microbiome alone from the Parkinson's patients was able to induce motor symptoms consistent to what we see in Parkinson's patients, but that did not happen with the introduction of the microbiomes from the healthy control. So this was kind of groundbreaking, not only for for us, but for the industry, that perhaps the microbiome is having not beyond just a correlative role, but perhaps even driving some of the core Parkinsonian symptoms alone. Well, what's a a remedy that you guys have have found? Is it, again, a particular uh, strain or strains of uh, a bacteria, or, or is it a different kind of remedy? So the first, that's an excellent question, and we have to get to that. Like, what would we use for a therapeutic intervention? But before that, we want to understand, like, what's driving it in the microbiome? Like, what could be driving the symptomology um, in these in these human Parkinsonian microbiomes? So what Sarkis and, and the team have done in Axial, we've started to interrogate and try to look for changes in the Parkinsonian microbiome compared to neurotypicals to see, as you said, if there are any changes where things are perhaps missing, some beneficial species devoid in Parkinson's, or do we see uh, enriched species or pathways in the Parkinsonian microbiome that we don't find, say, in healthy individuals? So what I can just tell you to date is we have a really good understanding of what we think is going on with the Parkinsonian microbiome that will allow us to target what we'll call more of the bad actors, and our approach is not an antibiotic approach, but rather a more traditional therapeutic approach that we've shown in our preclinical models that when we administer molecules to these mice, we're able to alleviate their motor symptoms. Oh, wow. So does it totally alleviate them or just partially? To date, we've done it more in a a setting that it staves off the symptoms from getting worse, and we're, we're trying to get to a point where we can intervene to a point to have a much profound impact, but the initial studies that I described look very promising. And I think neat about this is the one part is that these drugs we're all developing are targeting the gut. So we're not building in properties for any of these therapeutics to cross the blood vein barrier. Their primary um, residence is in the gut and they will then pass through the feces. They won't have any systemic exposure or very limited systemic exposure. This is really interesting. uh, How long is the path until you think that uh, you'll be able to have a commercially available remedy for Parkinson's? That's a great question. It's a really good one. You know, obviously, we want to get a therapy as, as soon as possible out to patients. I mean, what we're, we're saying right now is we're still in animal testing right now, but we would love to 
move quickly into a patient setting to start testing this proof of concept in patients. And then from there, you know, typical drug development times uh, take, you know, several years before you get development. But since there's such a high-end med need in Parkinson's and autism, perhaps we could get some, you know, expedited reviews by working with the FDA and other regulators to try and get these products on the market soon. The fact that you're seeing uh, microbiomes affecting Parkinson's and autism, are there other conditions that this is pointing to that you now want to investigate, or do you have your hands full with just these two? These two are, are two pretty big disease areas. We do have some earlier stage programs we can't disclose yet, but it actually is, is a really good question. At least within central nervous system disorders, we do have a couple of other ones that are a twinkle that we're, we're starting to gain on a lot more confidence in that there may be a very strong link between the gut microbiome and the CNS disorders. Mm. Okay. Well, very interesting. Um, how close are you, again, to a commercially available product for either autism or Parkinson's? Do you think it's, you know, general, generally, is it a few years? Who knows? Uh, what's, your, what's your feel? Sure. So it's definitely not who knows. <laughs> so it's more on the line of, for autism, what we can tell you is we will be starting clinical trials this year, actually later this year. So if we kind of project forward from this point moving forward, again, you know, we would hope to have an opportunity to again, work with regulators in the FDA to move quickly through those clinical trials and demonstrate the benefit of this, you know, gut retentive approach to autism such that we could be on the market hopefully soon. Okay. Well, very good. So, uh, you know, last question, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you to find out more, uh, to maybe propose collaboration, those kinds of things? Absolutely. So the best way to, to connect with me, my email. So that's david at axialbiotherapeutics.com. Okay. Very good. And the website, just as a reference as well? Sure. Absolutely. The website is www.axialbiotherapeutics.com. All right. Great, David. I appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you.
You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.